Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, all on the show for the first time in a long time. And we felt like to honor that, we're going to bring on a guest, uh, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports, Brandon Huffman. Brandon, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing? Hey, good to be here. I am striving to get to a Dutch Bros because right now I'm thriving off of Hampton Inn morning coffee. So, I need to get some real caffeine in this body of mine. Uh, and the reason why you're in a Hampton is because you were in Eugene. You were with us last night at uh, Saturday Night Live. And that's why we're going to bring Brandon on to get his just overall perspective, his takeaways uh, from SNL, as well as just get you up to speed on recruiting in general. Um, let's start big focus here, Brandon, um, from just like the camp perspective. It feels like when this started in 2017 under Taggart, it was a first chance to get like all your commits and all your big targets for that recruiting class that were seniors on campus. It, now it feels like it's shifted towards, hey, we want to get our commits on um, campus, but also it's more of an introduction to sophomores, to even freshmen. I mean, there were, I think, eighth graders going into freshman year of high school at SNL. It really feels like the the focus has shifted in the last six years that this camp has gone on. I'm sure it's that way across the country. What what led to that, you think? Yeah, I, I think because the cycle has gotten so much quicker. It's been expedited in terms of when guys take uh, visits, when they make commitments. You know, the focus now has to kind of be on the underclass. You know, who are the 25s, the 26s, and even the 27s? Um, you know, it, it seemed like the majority of the 24s that were there were committed prospects, and there were still some 24s that are, you know, holding on for hope that there might be an organ offer coming. But I think that, you know, you, when you make the focus of underclassmen, it gives you a year or two heads up because so many guys are committing early now. So many guys are done after the official visit cycle done in, or wraps up in June. So July is a month where a lot of guys are coming off the board. Well, now you might bring in some guys that you're like, hey, we still need a couple of guys in this position. Let's bring them in for more workout. But the reality is everything pivots to the next year. Remember, August 1st uh, is the first day that, you know, official offers can go out to the 2024 class. But the reality is those guys already know that they've got official offers. It's the 2025s that are going to be able to start communicating with coaches here in the next couple of weeks. So you really try to pivot if you're a coach to the ensuing classes because those are the guys that are still largely uncommitted, still largely untapped and, and unrecruited. So you get them on campus, get that last look at them before they start their season. And I, I think it's kind of a win-win for coaches who are already ready by this time of the year to move on to the next class. Brandon, great having you on here. It was fun catching up with you. Always one of my favorite parts of this gig is, is meeting with you and the other recruiting guys on the trail sometimes. Yeah, a little sentimentality. I also like that you're just Huffman on the uh, the stream here, which is, I think, appropriate. Uh, we're going to get to a bunch of the commitments. Oregon had nine of them at SNL. There's going to be a bunch of questions about that. But I kind of wanted to start with the 2025 quarterbacks, and there were two very good ones on hand with their 
Bachmeyer and uh, Achilles Smith Jr. What are your kind of early thoughts on those two and then maybe just the position as a whole out west um, in 25? Yeah, I mean, those two, along with Houston Longstreet from Corona Centennial, are probably kind of the, the three crown jewels of quarterbacks out west. You know, we, we're, we've always seen the West Coast have really good quarterbacks. I mean, you go back a few years ago to the C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, D.J. Uyangalele last year, Nico Amaliaba, um, Aiden Childs, Malachi Nelson. And, you know, in 2020, 20, I guess that'd be 2025, um, there's another strong three that's maybe not as, gru- as, as top-end heavy as the 2020 class was, the 2023 class was, but three really talented quarterbacks and three really different type of quarterbacks. And two of them were there on Saturday night. Bear Bachmeyer, who's probably the most consistent passer on the evening, you know, with Bear, uh, it feels like we've been watching Bachmeyer's forever. And it's partly because we have. You go back to watching Hank when he was, you know, a freshman in 2015, all the way through uh, Bear now, who's got two more years of high school. And then you had Tiger there in the middle between them, even though he's a receiver. Bear just looks so polished. He looks so, uh, you know, everything looks very easy to him. He doesn't force many throws. He makes the, the, the smart throw. He doesn't try to force things into spaces that he doesn't have open. And I thought he was the most consistent. But then you will watch Achilles Smith Jr. And I got to see him last month at Future 50 down at IMG in Florida. And first of all, he's head and shoulders above everybody. From a physical standpoint, his stature, uh, you know, you can't help but notice him. But then you see the ball come out of his arm and it looks like he's compacting his passing, his motion a little bit more and and tightened that up just even in the month since I last saw him. And I thought he had a couple of really big wild throws. I know Eric, you and I are standing there watching the throw he made to the back corner of the end zone for a touchdown. And you just kind of like, okay, you know, those are the kind of throws that that you want to see from McKeeley where he, he can make those wild throws, but you also want to see just consistency from him. And I think he is showing that consistency and you got the arm that, that he has. Once you kind of, you know, wield the wildness, it's not that he's a wild quarterback, but when you're a big arm quarterback, you tend to do things that you think you can do maybe a little bit more than you should do because you have the arm strength. And I think as he continues to, to do that, he's got a chance to be a very special passer. Brandon, like Eric said, great to see you yesterday. Great to have you on the podcast. Uh, thanks again for coming on. You know, one of those Oregon recruits or commits that were, was there at Saturday Night Live was Fox Crater, a uh, guy who's been committed to Oregon for a while. Just your your initial thoughts from the camp for watching him and, and his limited drills and then uh, just an update on his recruitment. You know, there was some talk about maybe a decommit after Adrian Clem left, but he's still committed to Oregon. Just where does he stand as of now? Yeah, and I mean, you, you add in the fact that after Adrian Clem left, he took kind of a southern swing of visits where he visited A&M and mm-hmm. TCU, Oklahoma, Texas, went down to Alabama and Georgia. And, you know, then in the, in the month of June, he took an official visit uh, down to uh, to USC and he took one to Oklahoma. And so then there was a speculation, oh, oh, is this thing even getting softer, softer? Well, he took his last official visit to Oregon at the, at the end of June. And I think that that solidified his standing with the Ducks. I think Alik Terry's done a really good job of developing the relationship. You know, another ace in the hole, even though he's not an in-state kid, I've always counted Vancouver kind of as an Oregon city uh, rather than a, than a Washington city. So he's almost, you know, a, a local kid. But two of the guys that he trains with, that he does five-on-five five with, are Trent Ferguson and Devin Brooks, who are both in-state commits, committed after Fox committed. But I think the familiarity with, with both Devin and Trent, uh, you know, certainly helped. Um Seeing Fox, it's funny because every time I see him, I remember going back and watching him and he was early in his sophomore year. And you saw the size. He was a basketball player. You saw the size. 
And you just kind of thought, all right, he's raw. But once he learns this position, he's going to be good. Junior year, I went to go watch him play in an absolute rainstorm. He was just okay. But then I got to see him in February at a lineman camp. And he was just coming off of hoop season and looked to be in great shape. He's already got the flexibility, the bend that you want. But he looks stronger. He looks nastier. He looks like he's really taken to the training and the coaching he's gotten from Christian Swain up there at, at Evergreen. And he's a guy that I think the sky's the limit for him. You know, he may not be a guy that's going to come in and play right away in 2024. And you, you kind of don't want that when you recruited the offensive line position as well as Oregon has. Um, yes, they've had some attrition, but you kind of hope that you can give him a year, maybe two, to, to just get stronger because he is a little bit on the slider side for a tackle. But Man, there is so much upside to like. And just watching him in the drills, and here's a guy that's committed. He's got office all over the country. There's no reason for him to even participate, let alone participate at a high level. And I thought, you know, in the early going especially, when we got to see the offensive lineman right in front of us, I loved his energy. I loved the fact that he wasn't skipping reps. He'd get out there and he'd do it. He just looks even bigger than he did, you know, two, three months ago. And so I think the sky's the limit for Fox, and he continues to trend up for us. Right Would you – um... Oh, oh sorry. I was gonna. I was gonna have to follow up. Just, what do you think of his hair? Uh, you know, Fox has always had a beautiful ha- set of hair. You know, it, it's not quite. Uh, you, when you look at, you know, maybe was it Noah Thomas, the kid, the other kid from Vancouver, who was there in twenty twenty five. You know, but but Fox has got good hair, and I'm used to seeing him rocking his Bass Pro Shop hat, and that was something that a lot of quarterbacks were wearing on the seven on seven circuit, and it kind of looked out of place on quarterbacks. But when you see this big old offensive lineman, you know, his dad lives in Texas. And you see him rocking the Bass Pro Shop hat. You know, it, it fits, but it does keep the world from getting to see those locks. <laughs> we have photos, by the way, on DuckTerritor.com of Fox uh, and his, his his nice haircut. Uh, was it kind of braided in the back? It was a good look. Yeah, I agree. Corn yeah. yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I was going to ask you about a name you've already mentioned, Brandon. Uh, Trent Ferguson. I, I, I was admittedly really intrigued to see him, in, in part because he's a local kid who I hadn't seen yet, and also because this is a guy who's got very limited football playing experience still very raw I think that kind of showed up at times on Saturday but mm-hmm. what were your impressions seeing him and, and I guess just how many times have you seen him before this and yeah what, what kind of growth did you see since maybe the last time so this is the fourth time I've seen Trent since February and I tell you every time I see him it, it sounds cliche but in his case it, it's really accurate because he is still new to the game of football you know he didn't play but I think four games last year he was a basketball player uh, got his offer from Oregon wet 10 days after he played his first high school game. And it was almost by happenstance. Uh, West Salem was playing Sheldon High School. Adrian Clem went to go watch his son, Nico. Tony Tuyoti went to go watch his two sons on Sheldon. And, you know, shortly after, they invite Trent to come to camp. Or, I'm sorry, come to campus for an unofficial visit and for a game and ended up offering him. And I think he's one of those guys that, you know, you – don't take him right now and expect him to play right away because he's not ready to play right away. You take him and you take that raw athleticism and that athletic ability and that length, that frame, that size, the nimbleness of his feet, you teach him how to play football for the first two years that he's there. And then in 2026, he'll probably turn him loose. And one of the nice things I think college coaches will, will say this all the time that they love about guys that are relatively new to the game but have an advanced skill set athletically because they play other sports is – they don't have a lot of bad habits when they don't know the game all that well. They're not teaching them something that they were taught the opposite of by maybe their high school coach or maybe by their, by their private trainer. They're able to kind of teach them in real time, and they don't have a lot of bad habits to change. And so when you look at Trent, 
you don't see a lot of bad habits. What you see is a guy who's still relatively new to the game. He's still learning certain things. But the things that you can't teach, that that physicality, I'm sorry, the, the flexibility, his ability to bend as a you know, bend with the knee, not be a waistbender, just his footwork that you can see coming from the basketball side of things. Those are things you can't teach. You can teach him the other things when he gets to college, you know, just the technique, the way to use his hands, the way to, you know, to, to use his arms and all the different things that, that come into being an offensive lineman. And you're going to spend two years putting good weight on him and make him stronger. But, you know, having seen him in February where you're just kind of like, oh, there might be some uh, things here that we'd hold up on to seeing him in, in April – to in June to now, that light bulb's going on. And the other thing I love about Trent too is he knows that he's got some learning to do at the position. And so he hasn't ditched or, or, or ducked going to camps, uh, no pun intended, but he's going to these events and he's showing that he wants to get better. Yeah, that's a big thing. Uh, is seeing, I think seeing these guys that are 2024s show up and take part in drills and um, whether they're committed or not. Brandon, we've talked about two commits already. Seven other guys were on campus. One of those was Sandman, a 2025 offensive lineman from Florida. Uh, I'm going to throw in um, Jason Brown and also um, Dakota Fields, two other 2024 guys that aren't committed to Oregon. Brown's uncommitted. Fields is the USC. Um, Of that group, anything stand out, good or bad? Anything catch your eye? Yeah, well, I mean, Dakota Fields would have been cool to see him work out during the day. I mean, I thought that the right. defensive backs group was loaded and it would have just added to, you know, the, the talent level. I thought that would, by far was the best group, and probably because it was the biggest group. Uh, but, you know, just getting him on campus if you're Oregon has got to be super, super exciting, given that, you know, this isn't an official visit. This is him coming up on his own dime after he's committed to USC and we know Oregon was a factor in his recruitment before his decision. And, you know, he's got a little buddy named Roger Pleasant that is in Eugene. So that certainly doesn't hurt. So I think just getting him there, you know, we, we, we were joked about last night, like a lot of those top guys come and they spend the entire time walking around doing the event. And the coaches spend basically two hours doing an in-home visit with them on yeah. their own on campus. So, you know, that certainly wasn't something that, you know, Oregon was bummed about getting him there. And while Demetrius Martin was, coaching and, and giving pointers and doing that, I guarantee you there was time spent with uh, Dakota. So that was big. Jason Brown, you know, on the other hand, I, I thought he was the best running back there. I thought he looked explosive. Yeah. He looked dynamic. He caught the ball well. You know, Jason's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I've known him since he was in middle school. You know, he was one of my son's teammates. And just watching him, you know, get out there and, and compete, you know, he's a little bit dinged about, uh, you know, how his stock has dropped in terms of the rankings over the last year. And, you know, he will be the first one to tell you that maybe my junior season wasn't as good as my sophomore, my freshman year was, but now I'm coming back with a whole new mentality. And uh, here's a guy with offers from all over the country. doesn't need to be at a camp. And yet he drove down to participate in this camp. And he looked like he was one of those guys that was taking this camp. Like it was a game on a Friday Friday night for the Metro league title. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a lot of smiles and Jason Brown is, the most gregarious personality you're going to find in this 2024 class. And there was no, it was all business for, for JV on, on Saturday night. I thought he looked extremely good. And, you know, if that was kind of a sneak preview to what he's going to look like as a senior at O'Day, then I think the Metro League should really be on notice because he played with the purpose at a camp where a lot of guys just kind of go through the motions and that wasn't like him at all. Um, and I think that, you know, just seeing again, we, we talk about guys that, that steal reps. And I, I say that in a good way where like, they're not just content to get a t-shirt and a picture. They came to the camp to compete. And I think that Jason certainly came to that camp to compete. And I thought he looked as good as I've seen him at any event in the last year. 
We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to dive. Oh, George, you have a follow-up? No, no. Oh, just waiting for the break. You raised your hand. All right. No. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, continue our conversation with Brandon Huffman. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Uh, halfway through the show. Really appreciate your time, Brandon. Uh, we'll get you out of here real quick. Real quick, just you know, right after, right after asking you yeah. some more questions, uh, I spent a, I spent a majority of the time on the one v one side of the ball, but I just thought I'd, that I just want to get some some takeaways from you and just what you saw in the seven on seven portion of this whole Saturday Night Live camp and just you know guys who stood out whether it's offense or defense maybe a quarterback or two I just wanted to get some takeaways from from this camp from you. Yeah, you know, it's always funny because we, we talk about this all the time in the industry that seven on seven is not a great venue for linebackers a lot of the time because it's quarterbacks are trying to throw the ball deep. They're, they're trying to show off their 40 to 50 yard uh, motion and range that they can do. So there's not a lot of dinking and dunking or underneath routes. And yet with the, the way there was so much going on on Austin Stadium's field with the linemen in the middle of the field, reps on one side, reps on the other the seven-on-seven wasn't necessarily giving them a full field the entire time. So they were getting to work in smaller spaces. So that meant a lot of checkdowns by these quarterbacks, which allowed the linebacker group uh, to really have a, a good day. I thought Jackson Jones – that was my first time seeing Jackson Jones in person. Uh, another one of those guys. He was not ditching reps, man. That kid was jumping in there, jumping out of there, jumping back in there, jumping out of there, jumping back in there. I mean, he, he probably took – it felt like he took 100 reps. And, you know, I, I thought he had a really good day. Um, moving well in space. And then no relation, but a 2025 linebacker, Marco Jones from San Ramon Valley and Danville. Love that kid. I've seen him at a number of seven-on-seven tournaments uh, and camps. I've seen him at the Under Armour camp, saw him at the OT7 last month. Um, here's a kid who basically spent the entire summer playing baseball all over the country. Uh, he's going to the area code games uh, later this summer. So, you know, he's mixing football and baseball, and yet he came up, he competed. I know Oregon's very high on his list. Uh, this is, I think, at least his third visit to Eugene. He was up for the spring game and then was back last night. 
thought he had a really good day. Uh, Jonathan Epperson, a kid I'm very familiar with, lives in my neighborhood, plays on my son's high school football team. Uh, you know, I just love the energy that, that Jonathan brings, but his ability to close, I mean, he looks more like a safety from a physical standpoint, but he's going to be a linebacker in college. And his closing speed was tremendous. I thought Mark Giannachor, uh also looked really well, looked really good. The four-star linebacker from Sarah, I'm sorry, from uh, Narbonne High School in, in Harbor City, Los Angeles, and then Keelan Moses from Louisiana. I thought he looked really well. So mm -hmm. I, that was one of those rare events where I walked away going, man, the linebackers really made some plays. Uh, but as I mentioned, you know, the DBs I thought had the, the best day, the best group overall. Aaron Flowers had one of the best interceptions that we, we saw. He might have had the, the interception of the camp um, on a pick. Um, you know, the future duck, I thought he looked really good in the drills. Again, we talk about how guys can go through the motions a little bit when they're out of camp. And, you know, especially when they're already committed. But he did not at all. Um, there were a couple of kids that – school st francis academy okay that's i remember they were both teammates from uh, from baltimore michael van buren's teammates that i thought just looked outstanding blake would be uh, kevin humes i thought both uh flash i thought would be had probably a little bit better of a day uh but kevin humes i think he might you know physically have a little bit more upside uh with him but i, I really like both those guys coming out to the west coast uh, to perform kid that i've seen a ton this offseason darian clemens uh, he's the number, I think, number four player in the state of Washington, uh, out of Spanaway Lake High School in uh, Spanaway, Washington. Uh, he ran a 4-3 laser time at a camp combine earlier in the spring, but he's shown he's not just about straight line speed. He's got the hips. He can flip those hips. He can get out. He takes a bunch of reps. And then, you know, get used to hearing this name, folks. If you haven't already heard this name for, you know, if you're a Early 1990s Oregon fan, you know the last name. If you followed recruiting in the 2010s and the teens, you know this last name. But you're going to be hearing this name a lot for the next four years and probably beyond. And that's Josiah Molden. I mean, you, you look at this group of guys. There's 24s there. There's 25s. There's 26. Josiah is a very quiet, very humble kid. But then you see him on the field, and he's in there taking reps like he's a fifth-year senior. Uh, in college, mm -hmm. okay. he is, you know, an NFL vet. He doesn't have a lack of confidence. He go in there, he'll go up against the big, tall receivers. He'll go up against the, the smaller, shiftier, quicker slot receivers. And he will hold his own, if not continue to excel. So that's a kid who, you know, be very excited about if you're an Oregon fan. Talking to a lot of the uh, Westland coaches, uh, Damon Griffin, uh, former Oregon receiver, uh, uh, goodness gracious, I'm completely blank. Anthony Newman, uh, another former Oregon DB. I mean, when you, when you bring up the name Josiah, this is back in the spring when he was still in middle school. You bring up the name, and it's just like an instant smile comes to their face. And, you know, what, what he lacks in age, he makes up for with a confidence that he can compete at a high level. And just seeing him out there yesterday with a, a group of very experienced, very mature uh, defensive back group, you know, I thought Josiah was one of those guys that, you know, you're going to be talking about after last night and we'll be talking about it a lot the next few years. All right, Brent, let's consider this a delayed follow-up because you did mention and do a kind of a scout breakdown on Jason Brown. But I'm curious on his recruitment in particular because as we've established already, a lot of the kids on campus here were 25, 26s. You mentioned you're just talking about a 27. And there are only a few 24s that aren't committed to Oregon that were here, but Brown was, was one of them. Kind of – is Oregon the leader, one of the leaders? Kind of where does it stand? And, and what's your sense on just kind of a timeline maybe? 
Yeah, I would say that they are probably in that top two right now. I think Michigan State had him on campus for an official visit in June. He had taken an unofficial visit there uh, back in April. So he's been to East Lansing a couple of times, really likes it there. But the reality is, you know, Jason Brown's a Northwest kid. And, and I think, you know, if he had the opportunity to stay in the Northwest, then that's something that's going to certainly come in handy. And Oregon specifically asked him to come in to work out. And they just want to spend some time with him. You know, he didn't do – a lot of camps in the offseason. He did the uh, the opening in or sorry, the, the All-22 Elite 11. He went down and worked out at that. But, his, you know, because, again, going back to just kind of the angry Jason Brown about his rankings, it was all about O'Day High School. And, you know, he's a guy that really excels in pads. So he spent a lot of this offseason working out with his team, even playing some quarterback in a pinch when he needed to. And so as a result of that, he didn't do a lot of official visits in the spring or unofficial visits for that matter. He took a visit down to USC. He was at Oregon, I want to say, in January. Then he visited Michigan State before he took the official. But Oregon is right there in the mix for him. He's been to Eugene a number of times, really developing a good relationship with Carlos Lockin. I mean, you got to go back to uh, – I mean, shoot, who was the running backs coach before Carlos Lachlan? Uh, that, that's who offered him. Uh, Jim Master. At Oregon. Jim Master. There you go. Sorry, coach. I, I forgot. You know, every, so much coaching attrition in college football, I can't remember who was where. But, you know, his recruitment goes back to the spring of his freshman year in the spring 2021 COVID year, and he got offered by Oregon then. But he still continues to be on their board, and they're making a push for him. So I think Oregon is a very compelling opportunity for him. Michigan State obviously has had the benefit of getting him on campus for the official visit. But, you know, Jason took one visit this week. He, he was just there uh, in Eugene this week. And so on a, on a small window of visits for a lot of guys, maybe hit four or five schools. Michigan State was hoping to get Jason Brown back on campus this last week. He chose to go to Eugene. So I think that, you know, certainly shows that the Ducks are in there. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, how hard each school and recruit pursue each other there before it ends up a potential match. Consider this kind of a follow-up to Matt's opening question, kind of revolving around the underclassmen. I've been going to this camp for a while. Matt and Eric have been going longer than I, but I, I think I've been going the last four years. The last four years have been available. It seems like this this time around, there were a lot of, I, I would say, more talented, but just better underclassmen. Is that is that something that you've seen just in, in camps around the country? And just uh, just some some guys who stood out. You already mentioned Molden, but there are other guys that I thought were pretty talented out there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what makes the, you know, for me, I, there's this frequency bias that, you know, kind of comes into play where you start watching guys when they're fresh and then by the time they go to their senior year, like, oh, great, another camp where I've seen you for the 37th time and now you're out there competing. <laughs> but the, the kind of thing that rejuvenates you is getting the opportunity to see the under guys, the underclassmen, mm -hmm. that who am I going to be talking about for the next two or three years? Who are going to be the names to know the next two, two or three years? And I thought that, you know, Saturday Night Live, was a plethora of underclassmen. And again, what, what makes it cool is you get some of those 2027s like Josiah Molden, like Luofaldo Mole uh, from Eastside Catholic and, and Sammamish. Um, but I, I thought, you know, granted, there was more numbers in the 25s and 26, but the, the talent really came from the 25 and the 26 class. And, you know, you look at the receiver group. It was a strong receiver group, but I, I thought for my money that the two best receivers, you know, one two punch for both 2026s. Uh, in Asa Thompson out of Eastside Catholic, and then in Sinai Thomas out of Archbishop Bruton. Both have Oregon offers. Both come from schools that, you know, Oregon coaches have, have recruited well, that Junior Adams has recruited well. Uh, Sinai Thomas is kind of an interesting case. You know, his brother plays at Oregon State, but Sinai was at Menlo Atherton last year where he backed up Jurion Dickey. 
And in the offseason, he transferred to Archbishop Reardon, where his coach is Adir Ravapati, who was Troy Franklin's high school coach. And Troy spent a lot of time with Sinai last night because Sinai played with his older brother, Adam and Low Atherton. And now he knows, hey, you're an Adir guy. I'm going to keep you by. And Junior Adams has had a relationship with those coaches for a long time. So I thought Ace and Sinai both had, had really good days. And, you know, that's what you love to see at a camp like that. Like, okay, we know who the, the older guys are. But there's the 26s that, you know, you really want to see, you know, who are that next group that maybe they played some minimal varsity football as a freshman. Maybe they played a lot of varsity football as a freshman, but this is kind of, you know, they're coming out here. And there's a couple other 26s that I like, Xavier Owens out of Alamany, uh, RJ Mosley out of Pittsburgh High School in, in the Bay Area. Um, a school that's had a long history of sending players to uh, University of Oregon. And then Jamison Powell out of, out of, Folsom, out of Folsom High School. I, I thought that he had a, had a nice day too. Not the biggest guy in the world. Um, you know, I've seen Jamison at a couple of events this offseason. Uh, he was the MVP at the Under Armour camp down in Southern California at receiver in a really big field. Uh, and I thought he had a good day. Jalen Lott was another 2026 that – I think he got – he's at least one of the few, if, if only, offers that, that I saw that came out of the camp last night, a 2026 receiver out of Texas. Uh, and then that's not to say that the 2025 group uh, wasn't good. Adrian Wilson, who is a duck commit now, I think he what, he mm -hmm. committed, gosh, what, an hour or two after the camp, was committed to TCU, uh, in the state of Texas kid. He was there um, from the other 2025 receivers I locked, Jameer Torres out of King Drew Magnet School in Los Angeles. I thought Landon Kelsey, who originally was from the Vancouver, Washington area, was at Ridgefield High School. He'll play his junior year and senior year at Central Catholic in Portland. I thought he had a good day. Chris Norris, who I saw win wide receiver MVP on back-to-back -back events back in, in, Jan or in June, overshadowed a bit by some of his teammates. Um, and then uh, I thought that Adrian Wilson you know, was another receiver. So it's awesome when the takeaway from an event like that is, man, there are some really good pass catchers out west in the next couple classes. And then some of these national guys that came out, you know, that, that they showed that they play a little football down to the Lone Star State. A little bit for any of you Texas A little fans. bit. They think, you know, football is not played outside of Texas. It is. <laughs> in fact, if you live in Houston, you'll get to see a California quarterback leading your NFL team uh, because, you know, Texas has a couple of decent quarterbacks, but California is the state of quarterbacks. Just a couple. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll finish up here. I don't know if it changes anything because you just ran through a bunch of them. But um, you mentioned Adrian Wilson. He did commit to Oregon last night. Um was there any players that were there that you feel like in the 25 class that, hey, like maybe a commitment isn't coming soon, but they've positioned themselves, Oregon being they, really yeah. well? Like, is there a name there that, that stood out to you or anything else? Yeah, there's a couple of names, and they're both running back. You know, we, we talked about Jason Brown, but I thought Jay Sean Lamar, obviously he has ties to Oregon with his brother Jaden being yep. there. Jaden was flanking Jay Sean a little bit. And I think with Jay Sean is – you know, a lot of times they say your best ability is availability. And what, what Jaden or what Jay Sean has lacked is availability. He had an injury his sophomore year that cost him the majority of the spring. But he's been to at least five different events that I've seen him this June, working his way back. And, and last night I thought he looked the most comfortable, the least rusty that he did. And he's poised for a big junior season. Uh, obviously, with his brother being there, there's the familiarity there. And uh, then Ansu Sano, who's probably going to be the top player in the state of Oregon in the 2026 class. You know, we the, we were all talking last night, like, what is he going to be in three years from now? Where is his body going to take him? 
you know, you, you figure that out in three years from now, but you take a talent like him, especially an in-state talent. I think, you know, Oregon is certainly going to be a factor with him. He does have an offer from Georgia, Tennessee offered as well. Uh, but a guy that I think that, you know, depending on how Oregon pushes for him over these next couple of years, I think that they've got a great chance at him. And then I think with Sinai Thomas and Asa Thompson, I know that they're younger guys, so maybe they're not necessarily names to, to really focus on right now, but those are names certainly – to know, I think it was big to get Jakeem Stewart out there. You know, we, we yeah. saw him at Under Armour in, in April. He came out from Louisiana and was the alpha dog there. So to get him out for that camp, that's huge because one thing Oregon has done well, uh, probably better than any school in the Pac-12, at least in the last five, ten years, is recruit nationally and not – you know, shy away from recruiting against the big boys down at the SEC or going into an SEC state. And so I think getting him on campus was huge. And he's a guy that I think Oregon fans should, you know, get familiar with. I, I think two names that I did mention, Marco Jones and Jonathan Epperson, the four-star linebackers from California and Washington, respectively. Oregon is very much on kind of their internal shortlist for them. Uh, I mean, Jonathan Epperson's a guy that I think this is his, that was his fifth visit down to, to Eugene. Even though he lives outside Seattle, he's originally from Maryland, so he is not a West Coast guy by nature, but he grew up watching Oregon football. So, you know, that shows the national brand certainly. Has. So those are a couple of the names that I would say keep an eye on. And then the 2024 class, I mean, the majority of the guys are committed, but, you yeah. know, depending on where they go, if they decide to offer one more interior offensive lineman, a kid that I think that they would have an excellent chance at, and his teammates already committed, is Terrell Kim yep. out of North Medford High School. Um, you know, pound for pound might be the, the best interior lineman out west in terms of what he's produced and, and shown, um, but, you know, he's a true interior guy. Oregon State had it on camps for an official visit, and they're, they're bringing in some off Offensive, interior offensive lineman. Obviously, Oregon already has Devin Brooks as kind of an interior guy, but if they decide to make a late offer to an interior lineman, then I think Terrell Kim could be a guy that, that Oregon fans need to get familiar with, especially with him and A.J. Pugliano being very tight. It's going to do it for us here with uh, Brandon Huffman here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Brandon, thank you for your time. Good to catch up with you once again. I'm sure we will see you in a couple of months when we go up to Seattle for that UW game. Might see you there, maybe. We'll, we'll see. Potentially, I'll be there. But, yes, I will definitely be seeing you guys. I got my my takeaways and my notebook coming out here later on. Yes. Sunday, so keep a lookout on that. Just compliment your guys' outstanding piece that you guys got up last night. I, I'm a little bit of a, I had a little bit of a drive last night, so I needed to. Yeah, yeah. Just a little. Take your time. Get, Take get your my time. beauty sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all you need. Thanks, Brandon. All right. Thanks a lot, Brandon. Thanks, right, Brandon. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, fellas. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.